so excited that we get to be together today. My name is Chad, and I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist. Most of the time, I'm down on the Tulsa campus, and today, Misael Gonzalez is preaching on the Tulsa campus, and I'll invite you to pray for him. I'd love to invite you also to keep your finger in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be back to that passage here in just a moment. And I know that many of us have been through the experience of having to make adjustments because of the condition of COVID and all that's taking place in our nation today. And, uh, and so I know some of you, that's been a financial statement or, or a, a, a career statement for some. It's been a health statement. And many of you know about my story and with my own father and the, the circumstances that we've been through with COVID. Today is one of those mornings that reflect uh, a change that we've had to make. We've had to make, a, uh, we had to call an audible today. And uh, the reason why is I was supposed to be in Tulsa and Pastor Chris was supposed to be here. Um, but I, I just want to pray for people who are experiencing the effects of COVID in any direction this morning. Um, late this week, Pastor Chris found out that he was in close proximity with someone who tested positive for COVID. Now, Chris is fine. He's not got any symptoms and he's feeling just fine. Um, and he hasn't been tested yet and hasn't, hasn't been tested uh, positive for COVID, but he was in close proximity late this week with someone who has, and just out of an abundance of caution, he's decided to self-quarantine. We actually asked him to do that. We thought that was wise for him to do, and so he's done that. So I want you to pray for him and for his family, and and really, this is a good season for us to be praying for one another, right? For us to be praying just about how God is moving in our nation and moving in our economy and moving in our people and and those things that make us anxious. Remember uh, that scripture that tells us that we don't have to to be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we can make our requests known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Watch this. It'll guard our hearts. It'll guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And so as we begin our service today, let's pray for Pastor Chris and let's pray for the people who have been affected by COVID and Tuesday's coming. So let's be praying for that election as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful to you. Isn't that how that verse starts? With thanksgiving, we need to make our requests known to God. So, Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to bring these ideas and these these anxieties and these questions and these comments and these, uh, these things that concern us. We're so thankful for the opportunity to bring them before you. And so we pray right now that you would bless Pastor Chris, that he would be healthy, that you would keep him that way, and, and that, uh, that you would be with those other families that have been so directly influenced by the effects of COVID. I'm so grateful that in the middle of uncertainty and in the middle of uh, unprecedented things, that's the word we've heard over and over again, right? Father, I'm so thankful that in the middle of all of those things, you are the powerful controller of all things. And while we may not understand it and sometimes we may not like it, we know with certainty that we can trust you so like Peter said, Father, we, we believe you. Help our unbelief. And Father, for our election that's taking place this Tuesday, I pray that you would help us to recognize that, that true power isn't about who's in the White House or in the courthouse or in the legislative house, but true power rests in heaven, rests in you, in your son Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose from the dead so that one might be forgiven. I'm so grateful that your word in Isaiah tells us, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. So I pray that regardless of the outcome of the election, that your people would stand strong in faith to recognize that you are the one true God and you are in control. So thank you so much. 
that in the middle of uncertain times that you are certainty for us. Help us today as we look at your word to hear your word and whatever it is you have to say to us to simply say yes. We love you, Father. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for praying that with me, and I hope you'll continue to do that. I want to start by asking a question to you today. Have you ever, have you ever wanted something with your whole heart? You know what I mean when I say that phrase? I just want this thing with my whole heart. You know, if I just don't get this thing, I just, I want it with my whole heart. Have you ever experienced that? And maybe you've experienced both sides of wanting something with your whole heart, right? Maybe you've wanted it with your whole heart and you got it and you're just so excited and you celebrate, you're showing everybody and you're telling everybody, I got this thing, I wanted it with my whole heart. Or maybe on the opposite side of that, you wanted it with your whole heart, (laughs) And you just didn't get it. And now you're disappointed and you're discouraged and you're down and you're looking for ways you can manipulate things or move things around so you can get that thing that you want with your whole heart. Have you ever experienced that? I know I have. I've experienced that. And I was thinking about a time when I was younger. My dad, when I was young, he would travel a lot for the business that he was in. And sometimes when he would go out on business, he would come back and in his suitcase would be a gift for me or my brother or me and my brother. And I was excited. I was always excited when he would come home to see what he was going to bring us. And and I can remember I was about six years old. And when I was about six years old, like most six-year-old boys, at some point you wanted to be a cowboy when you grew up, right? You'll just confess right now, I still want to be a cowboy, right? At some point, you wanted to be a cowboy. And when I was six, I had all the right gear, right? I had the little cowboy boots. I had the giant cowboy belt buckle. You know, I had that. I had the holsters and the little cap gun. And that was, that was awesome. The only thing I didn't really have that I really wanted with my whole heart, with all my heart, what I wanted was a black, authentic cowboy hat. That would just complete the whole thing. A black, authentic cowboy hat. Black because, you know, good guys wear black, right? And I needed it to match my heart. So um, uh, a, a good, black, authentic cowboy hat. And then it just so happened that my dad was going on a, on, a, on a business trip to San Antonio, Texas. What better place to buy an authentic black cowboy hat for this six-year-old little boy, me, uh, than San Antonio? So I dropped all the right hints in the subtleties of a six-year-old. Dad, I want a hat, you know, and all the subtleties of a six-year-old, I dropped all the right hints. Now, I'll confess that I don't remember actually saying I wanted black authentic. I just said I wanted a cowboy hat. I thought he'd be able to fill in the blanks. Surely he's my dad. He's brilliant, right? So... He goes on the trip with all my heart. I wanted this hat. He comes back and I'm so excited to see him because I just know in his, well, maybe I'm not excited to see him. Maybe I'm excited to see his suitcase. (laughs) That's really kind of how I felt about it. But um, he comes in. I'm excited about what the possibilities are. He opens up the suitcase and out of the suitcase, he pulls a brown, like woven wicker, cheap kids cowboy hat. And with all of the graciousness of a six-year-old, I wadded that thing up, threw it across the room, and stormed out and just expressed my complete disappointment that I did not get what I wanted in that moment. I was six, and he understood, and um, I got spanked later for that nice display, and that was awesome. Um, but, uh, But, you know, sometimes you experience the disappointment, right, of not getting what you want when you want something with your whole heart. 
I know there are a lot of college students, they've experienced their first semester of college, and in many universities, there are these, there's the old phrase of, hey, you're going to find the one for you, ring by spring, or your money back, right? Isn't that how college is supposed to work in your first semester? And especially, I went to Oklahoma Baptist University, and it was, it's really bad there, because it's not just ring by spring or your money back, but you want to put God in the middle of all of it. So I can't tell you how many people at OBU have had the experience where somebody wakes up some morning, and they're just, and they go to one of, you know, some person that they've met, and they're like, I was praying. I was praying and God put you on my heart. (laughs) And I'm just convinced that we're supposed to date and be married, ring by spring or your money back. And the the other person looks at him like, I don't think I even know your name. And what's that thing on your lip? That's weird. Yeah. And so um, just disappointment sometimes when you want something with your whole heart. I know some people who their whole heart, they live and die by the stock market, right? Stock market goes up, things are great. Stock market goes down, things are terrible. I know people, and you might be one of these people that are living and dying by the election. You know, somebody's gonna win, somebody's gonna lose, some party's gonna be rise higher, one party's gonna rise lower or rise. Yeah, they're gonna fall lower. And here we are in this condition where my heart, with my whole heart, I want something. And now the condition of my mind and my will and my emotions is totally wrapped up in this thing I want with my whole heart. What do you want with your whole heart? You see, that's what Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 21 is all about. Now, before we take a look at it again, I want to I make one more, uh, I want to just kind of express one more idea. There's uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says this interesting thing. It says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. In other words, everything you think, everything you feel, every emotional state, every mental state that you have, every, even your spirituality, to some degree, is largely influenced by what comes out of your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. And so the condition of our heart is really important in the eyes of God. God is desperately concerned with the condition of your heart. And and one of the things that I know that's true about our heart is it's one of those muscles in our body that we really can't and we really don't want to directly influence, right? So some of you work out and you'll go to the gym. And when you go to the gym, you know, what do you do in a gym? You lift heavy things and you put heavy things down, right? That's what you do in a gym. You pick things up, you put them down. I mean, is that what you do in a gym? You pick it up, you put it down. Now watch this. If I'm using this arm, this bicep to pick stuff up and put stuff down. Let me do that again for you. To pick stuff up and put stuff down. I better not do it a third time. I might rip my jacket. So that's hurtful, y'all. You're laughing at that? But I can work this muscle out directly, right? Directly, I'm picking stuff up. I'm putting stuff down and directly I'm working that muscle. But, but I can't do that with my heart, Right? I can't, I I mean, I really don't want that to happen. I have friends who recently in the past couple of weeks have had open heart surgery and they've either had a device that has operated for their heart while they're having open heart surgery or they've had these moments where the doctors had to directly interact with their heart in order to keep their heart beating or they've had to perform CPR or they've had to, uh, they've had to use the 
the paddles to shock them back into the right sinus rhythms. It's a bad thing when you're trying to directly affect that muscle that is your heart. The only way you can really make your heart more healthy is not through direct means, it's through indirect means. You need to do some calisthenics. You need to do some cardio work. You might be able to breathe in such a way that it slows your heart rate down and gives you a little bit of rest, right? But that's even indirect. The health of your heart isn't always determined by your direct ability to influence your heart. It's about the things that happen indirectly in the life of your heart. You know, it's one of those things, it's an old cliche that we use, right? The way to a person's heart is through their stomach. That's right. Some of you know that. The way to a person's heart is through their stomach. Even, even in our cliches, we recognize that in order to influence a heart, you have to, you have to practice an indirect influence into someone's heart rather than a direct influence into someone's heart. And in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, God makes it crystal clear what it takes to influence your heart. So let's read those verses again. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Look at this with me. It says in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there, there your heart will also be. So here's God saying, I, I have this thought that I need to share with you. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's trying to help people understand. It's the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached, and he's trying to help us understand He's trying to help us understand that in order to influence our hearts, you can't do it directly. It has to be something that's indirect. And then specifically, if you look at verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And you skip down to verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The way to capture your heart is through your stuff. It's through your possessions. And I think the reason why God articulates that, is, that our possessions are such a great influence on our heart is because I think God, I think he wants us to understand the shape of who we are. I think he wants us to understand the shape of how we operate. He wants us to recognize that we will either possess our possessions or our possessions will possess us. That's exactly how your life works. Either you will possess your possessions or your possessions will possess you. And you've seen it in every uh, marriage problem, or I've seen it in every marriage problem that sits across my desk when they're worried about, I think we're not going to make it. I think we're headed towards divorce. Money is almost always one of those reasons why. And, and then there are those moments when things with the kids just aren't going well. And, and as I dig a little bit deeper, money is almost always one of those influences. And in the middle of COVID, people are catching this terrible thing. And in the middle of it, we're worried about an economy. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong to worry about those things, but still money seems to matter and it seems to influence the condition of our heart. And God seems to be saying to us, the position of our possessions becomes the condition of our heart. Check that out. It's true. It's a principle that I hope that we'll catch today, that the position of your possessions will become the condition of your heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you know what it tells me about this passage? It tells me that he's going to talk about our possessions, but he's really concerned about our heart. 
He may be talking about money. He may be talking about finances. He may be talking about stuff. But he's really, he's really concerned about your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. And God has this desire for your heart to be fully his. You know, I've known people who are hurting in their heart. And it could be for a million different reasons. Maybe it's relational, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's physical, but for whatever reason, they're hurting. And you know what I've seen is that out of our heart, you know, out of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, I've seen people say hurtful things out of their heart, not because, not for any other reason than than they're hurting, because hurting people don't react the way healthy people do. And God's saying here in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, he's saying, yeah, your stuff matters, but the only reason your stuff matters isn't because God's saying, I need your stuff. God's saying, I want to protect your heart. So what do you want with all your heart? Who holds your heart? Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 again. There's some instructions that God gives us here that Jesus is giving in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, there's two things that are happening here. Every time you invest your stuff, whether it's your finances or your life, your resources, whatever it may be, every time you invest your stuff in something earthly, you're investing it in something temporary. So you have a choice. Will you give your heart to something that's temporary? That's the first choice that you have. And, and when you give it to something temporary, it's just very natural. The first thing that happens is moth and rust destroy. It, it just means that time is going to take it away. You know, it, it once was that money was our currency. And the more money you had, the more currency you had. And then our culture changed to become an information society. And the more information you had, the more accurate information you had, you could move markets with, with information. You could be in the right place at the right time with the right information. And we became an information-based economy. We became an information-based economy. And, and if you had the right information, you could get what you want. But today, I think our market has changed one more time and we're no longer currency-based or information-based. And the reason why I don't think we're information-based anymore is I can, I can form my opinion of what I think right now. And then I can go to the internet and I can find five or six or 10 or a hundred people that agree with me. So I get to choose the facts that I want now, right? Because information is now variable. So information is no longer a valid form of currency. It seems like today our currency is about our attention. What are you giving your attention to? You know, with TikTok, 15 seconds at a time, 30 seconds at a time, one minute at a time. They may not be doing anything significant. They may not be doing something special. They may be the most average person in the world, but they've captured my attention for 15 seconds. And now somebody like TikTok is paying them for the fact that they caught my attention or they caught your attention. You see, that's why the condition of our heart is so important because you can give your attention, you can give your time, you can give your talent, you can give your resources, you can give your money to so many different things. And if you're giving it to something that's earthbound, you're giving it to something temporary where moth and rust are going to destroy. It's just time. Time, we don't get it back. And it takes things away. It's the second law of thermodynamics. It's the law of entropy that says things go from a condition of organization to a condition of chaos. That's the layman's definition of it. And that is exactly what happens when you invest your money and your life and your time into something that's temporary, that's earthbound. But it's worse than that because it's not just in verse 19 that we see that time takes away. We see one more thing. It's also in verse 19 where thieves break in and steal. 
So it's not just that our time, it's not just that time takes things away, it's that, that thieves are actively trying to take your stuff and take those things that you've invested your whole heart in. And isn't it interesting that we're just never satisfied with the stuff that we get? I've always found it interesting with my own kids that it's, it's weird, and this, maybe your kids are like this too, but the closer we get to Christmas or the closer we get to a birthday, I start getting these random text messages and it's just a picture of something. And I, here's a picture of something. Hey, why'd you send me this picture? Oh, it's just something I was looking at, Dad. Something I'm, it's a black cowboy hat, Dad. I'm just looking at it. It's, it's a screenshot of Amazon. It's a screenshot of Best Buy or Google or something like that. And then we get to Christmas and they get everything they want. Well, not everything, but they get what they want. And it's, a, it's weird. December 26th, I get another text message. <laughs> We've opened all these presents and now birthday's coming, right? So I'm thinking about that next thing I want. It's weird how these temporary things don't satisfy, right? Because time takes it away and thieves steal. And then verse 20 gives us the, in, in, the inverse of that. It gives us the opposite of that. You can, give your, you can give your time, you can give your heart, you can give your stuff to something that's temporary or you have a choice. You can give your stuff, you can give your time, you can give your talents to something that's timeless. Look at verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. You know, that's the number one thing that's different between heaven and earth. Heaven is eternal, and earth is temporary. Heaven is timeless, and earth is temporary. There are no moths, there is no rust, there is no time in heaven to destroy or to take your stuff. And watch this, John chapter 10, verse 10, says this remarkable thing about who Satan is. It says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And then Jesus says, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You can invest your, your treasures and your time. You can invest your attention and your talents. You can invest all of who you are in something that's temporary or something that's timeless. And when you invest in something that's heaven-minded, you're invested in something that, that time can't affect and Satan can't take. Romans chapter 11 verse 29 says that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. What an amazing verse that is and how big a word irrevocable is. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. When you invest your time, when you invest your intention, when you invest your treasure into something that's timeless, when you place it into something that's God-honoring and God-specific, God does something remarkable with it. He protects it from the enemy who's come to steal, to kill, and destroy, to steal your life, to kill your joy, and to destroy your relationship with everyone else. He protects it from that. When you invest in something that's heavenly, when you invest in something that's timeless, you're investing in something that, that time can no longer deteriorate. The law of entropy no longer applies because you're investing it somewhere that matters the most. And then look at this last verse here, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what that tells me? And I know every time a preacher stands up and starts talking about money, that we start getting nervous. And I certainly believe that your church is a worthy target of your gifts. But did you notice verse 21? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember the way to work out a heart is not direct, it's indirect. And God says, here's the thing. I care about your stuff but I care about your heart more. And so, yeah, I'm talking about your stuff, 
but I'm talking about your heart more. God doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And what he's saying in verse 21 is that if money is what you want with your whole heart, well, the position of your possessions, it will become the condition of your heart. And it won't be timeless. It'll be temporary. And moth and rust, time will destroy it and and, and thieves will steal it. And you will live on the emotional roller coaster and the anxiousness, the anxiety that comes from the mental anguish that, that, that is produced every time the stock market shifts or the election doesn't go your way or the bill shows up inside your, inside your mailbox or inside your email or, or whatever takes place. Your emotional state will be determined. Your health will be determined. The health of your heart will be determined. Well, because you've wrapped your heart around something temporary instead of around something timeless. And so for the last few minutes, I just want to give us three practical things. Three practical things that we can do to put our stuff in the right position. To position our heart in a place of protection. To honor the economy that God has set up so that our hearts can be in someplace timeless and our lives can be someplace protected because God's not so interested in your stuff as much as he's interested in the condition of your heart. So here's the three things. They're really very simple to say. They're pretty profound, but they're pretty simple. And sometimes they're challenging to do. Just like going to the gym, it's hard to wake up and go to the gym. Just like it's hard to sit down at a meal and and eat the right healthy stuff. This is one of those disciplines that may be challenging to do and easy to say, but it's still the kind of discipline that if you practice it, it will give you a healthy heart. Because it's the way God designed us. And here's the three things. They're very simple. Give intentionally, save wisely, and live appropriately. Give intentionally, save wisely, and live appropriately. I'm going to say that again. Give intentionally, save wisely, and live appropriately. The, two, the first two, give intentionally and save wisely, the three steps it takes to do those things are exactly the same. And no matter how much or how little you have, and no matter how much or little you make, you can practice these three principles with, with, with a lot or with a little. You can do, you can do all these things. It's, they're very simple. Give intentionally, save wisely, live appropriately. And the first two, the principles to achieve them are the same. And here's how you do it. When it comes to giving intentionally, you should pick a time, a target, and a percentage. That's how you should give. Pick a time, a target, and a percentage. When should I give? I should give every time I earn, right? Every time God blesses me with something because I worked hard and now I got a paycheck, I should honor the economy of God and I, could, I, should, take a, I should take a part of that and I should give it away. Why should I do that? Well, because the Bible teaches us that God loves a cheerful giver. Why should I do that? Well, because nothing that I have did I create on my own. Everything I have is something that God has given me. And sometimes when God gives me something, just because it came to me doesn't mean it's for me. Sometimes God has given me something. He's entrusted me with something because he intends for me to give that to someone else and be a conduit of his blessing into someone else's life. I've been the beneficiary of that. I've been the beneficiary of that where someone has gone, hey, look, God has blessed me and now I want to bless you. Here's a gift card. Or God has blessed me and now I want to bless you. Here's some help with that one thing you didn't even know was coming. I've been the beneficiary of that and I want to be, I want to be someone who's able to bless other people that way. And so if we recognize that not everything that comes to me is for me, then when should I give? I should give every time I receive. 
And I should hold what I receive with this open hand, recognizing that in God's economy, he can do more with 90% than I can do with 10%. So I ought to pick a time. And what is that time? As frequently as God gives to me. So maybe you get paid weekly. Well, then give weekly. Maybe you get paid monthly, then give monthly. If you, maybe it's bi-weekly, then give bi-weekly. Maybe you should do that. Pick a time and, and, and make it part of your habit to give. Make it a part of your habit to save. Pick your time. When, when do I do that? Every time I earn something. And then pick a target. Pick a target. Make a plan to give. Make a plan to save. Pick a target. Now, I'm going to tell you that I believe as a member of this church that our church is absolutely a worthy target. If you're not giving to your church as a member of your church, I actually believe you're missing it. I believe you're missing out and, you're, and, and there's a step of obedience that God has for you that you have yet to take. And I would challenge you to say the position of your possessions is in the wrong spot if you're not as a member of the church giving to your church because I believe it's a worthy target. In the two-minute video that played before the service began, you see a number of things that we do. It's just a glimpse of the things that we do together as a church. God provides for his people. That's us. And then now we as his people faithfully provide for the work he's called us to do together. We've seen college students go on a retreat and grow deeper in their faith. We've seen high school students go to camps and we've paid for kids to go to camp and, and, and influence and vacation Bible school. And, and we've had these moments at the mission where we're just giving things away all the time because we believe God's desire as a church is for us to help people. Every dollar that's given into the life of the church, at least 10% of that is gonna be given away to like-minded ministries and to missionaries on the field somewhere else. And if I were honest about the numbers, the number is far are greater than 10% because as a church, you all, we together have decided we're just going to give a lot away because that's what God's called us to do. I believe that our church, your church, is a worthy target for your gifts. A few weeks ago, we brought Compassion International here. There's someone in our church who was praying for Compassion International. And then there was someone in our church who organized Compassion International to be here. And then Compassion showed up and they were so blown away by your generosity. On that day, in less than 24 hours, 192 children in Ocotal, Nicaragua were sponsored. That's 192 children in the developing world who will get a meal every day, who will get education, and who will get medical care for as long as you continue to sponsor them. You have a history of generosity, and I believe your church is a worthy target for that generosity. Pick a time. Pick a target. I also don't believe that the church should be your only target. There's a lot of good things to give to. There's a lot of needs in the community right around you. And the more generous, the more you practice giving, it's like a muscle. The more that muscle of generosity grows and the easier it is for you to be generous to others. And when that kid shows up on your front doorstep selling world's finest chocolate, it's easy to buy a box instead of just buying one and not just because you're a chocoholic like I am, right? Two years in a row, just uh, again, fifth and sixth grade, two years in a row, fifth and sixth grader, I sold more world's finest chocolate than any other kid in my school at Fairview Elementary. And I can't tell you how incredible it was to walk into someone's space and then go, man, I love what you're doing, supporting your, your school. Here, let's buy a box. Here, let's buy, let's buy a box. It was just so encouraging to do that. There, there are other targets beside your church. And so pick a target and pick a time. And then in order for us to manage our, our resources wisely, I think you should pick a percentage. How much of what you earn are you going to give? Scripturally, the Bible says start at 10%. That's an Old Testament number. In the New Testament, there's not really a number, but that's because the 10% is about lifting weights. 
It's about developing the habit of being a cheerful giver. And so 10% is a great starting percentage, both for giving and for saving. Pick a time, pick a target, pick a percentage. And if you're not at 10% now, work towards it, both in your giving and in your saving. Pick a time, pick a target, and pick a percentage. And if you're not at 10% yet, start. 1% this paycheck, 2% next paycheck, 3% next month, 4% next quarter, 5% in six months, 10% in a year. Not simply with your church as a target in mind, but with generosity as your goal because the position of your possessions becomes the condition of your heart. Pick a time, pick a target, and pick a percentage and do that with your giving and with your saving. And you'll find that 80%, because you're giving some and you're saving some, your 80% is going to go a lot further than your 100% would go all by itself. Do you know why we save? We save because Scripture tells us to. It's the same reason we give. We save because we honor the economy of God, this idea that, that there is coming a day when, when the economy won't be the same. And I can tell you with certainty, I know people through all this, this COVID environment that there are these moments when their job changed or their income dropped or they had to stay home for, for three months or, or whatever. Some of my friends were passionate about saving and that was a serious inconvenience for them. But because they were passionate about saving, it was not a financial crisis for them. And then I have friends who never save. And they got to that moment, and suddenly it's a financial crisis. Oh, the peace of mind and confidence of heart that comes when we simply structure our finances the way God designed. To give intentionally, to save wisely, and to live appropriately. Well, what does that mean, to live appropriately? Again, I said it's simple to say. It's sometimes hard to practice. It means to live within your means. Let the earnings that you make influence the expectations you have of your spending. Let the earnings you make influence the expectations you have of your spending. Don't spend more than you make. Actually, that is such a cliche thing that on Saturday Night Live several years ago, they made a sketch about a new financial planning book that was for sale. And the name of the book was, uh, this, is, this is how we're going to keep you financially healthy. According to Saturday Night Live, the name of the book was, Don't Spend More Than You Have, Stupid, <laughs> was the name of the book. And it, it was a hundred pages, and the whole the whole sketch is them doing this infomercial for the book. Don't spend more than you have, stupid. And you open up to page one, and page one says, "Don't spend more than you have, stupid." And page two says the same thing over and over and over again. It's such a cliche thing, but it's such a strong reality that when we order our finances the way God intends, to give intentionally, to save wisely, and to live appropriately then instead of our possessions possessing us, we possess our possessions. And instead of the condition of our heart being something that's temporary, the condition of our heart is placed in this timeless space where God blesses. And the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Certainly the church is a worthy target, but it's not the only target. Certainly generosity changes your heart. And, and I'm not sure miraculously how it happens. I just know what the promises of God are. And I know that I've seen it work in my own life and the lives of my friends and family.
Actually, I have a friend who's a member here. She and her husband are not wealthy. They're not just rolling in money. Uh, She actually has multiple part-time jobs. And I know that for the majority of her life, she and her husband have gotten serious about giving generously, saving wisely, and living appropriately. So they've been trying to structure their finances in this way. It's one of the reasons why she has multiple jobs. She wants the, the, the earnings she has to influence the expectations of her spending. And so she's, she's got these different part-time jobs. One of those part-time jobs is she drives for Door, DoorDash. She drives for DoorDash. It's a part-time job. And I have been the beneficiary of their generosity. They, they, they give into the life of their church. They give of their time and their talents and their resources. They give into the life of the church. But I also see them constantly giving into the lives of others. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard somebody say, I don't know how she even knew, but she just walked up and handed me a gift card and it just met the right need at just the right time. And there was a card with it with some encouraging words and such kindness. And it's just amazing to see the generosity of my friend who's not rich and who's not making a lot and has multiple part-time jobs. It's amazing to see her generosity and how God plays that out in the lives of others and in the lives of our church. And here she is driving for DoorDash (laughs) and she makes a delivery. I don't know if it was Cane's Chicken or McDonald's or some fast food, but she shows up and she makes the delivery just like you do. It was probably $5 worth of stuff, $10 worth of stuff. I don't know. But she leaves and she goes back home. And when she gets back home, she looks at her DoorDash app. And the DoorDash app tells you kind of how the transaction has, has worked. Did, did they pay right? Did they give you a tip? Those kinds of things. And she's looking at her app. And she's like, oh my gosh, this has got to be a mistake. And so she immediately jumps into her car, drives back to that person's house, knocks on the door and says, hey, I just delivered. And they're like, hey, you're back. We didn't order anything else. Unless you have an apple pie. I'd like an apple pie with that. But it, we you're back. What are you back for? And she holds up the phone and she says, I'm so grateful for you guys. And I, I'm, I hope the transaction was good. It seems like it was good, but I think there's a mistake that's been made because you tipped me and the tip says $500. And they're like, oh no, that's exactly right. That's exactly what we intended. And it was so funny to hear the way the conversation kind of rolled. You know, we just... We like to be generous to people and, and we know you're working hard for this and we just, we feel like we just wanted to bless you. So tip, $500. And in that Malachi, there's a, there's a verse, a passage of scripture in Malachi that talks about how we can test God. And the testing of God is not about making more money. The testing of God is about us recognizing that God wants to guard and protect and grow your heart. John chapter 17, it's Jesus' prayer as he's getting ready to go. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And Jesus says, Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. You can't do that directly. How do you do it? You do it indirectly by giving generously by saving wisely, by living appropriately, by trusting the God who wants your heart. Let me invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. There's two possibilities for the way you could respond to this message today. You could hear what I have to say and you could keep investing your life in something temporary. You could invest your attention, your time, your talent, 
you could keep investing in something temporary and your heart will hurt more and more and more. Or you can begin to invest in something timeless with your time, with your talents, and with your treasure. And in that very indirect way, simply by following the principles and precepts and practices of Scripture, you will find that your heart is guarded, that your mind is protected, and that your life is something eternal because you've stepped into this relationship with the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And so what will it be for you today? Will you trust your heavenly Father, not just with your eternal salvation? Will you trust your heavenly Father with your heart? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the gifts that you've given to us and the life that you've shown us and the mercy that you've given us. And thank you that you've given us principles and precepts in your word that help us understand how life works. And I know, Father, so many times my heart, it hurts And as I investigate, I find out that the reason why it hurts is because I keep giving my heart to something temporary. I pray that today you would help me to see it. Help me to see every time I have an opportunity to give my heart to something timeless. More than anything, let me trust my heart with you. And today, if I need to give more, show me by how much and show me when and show me where. And I pray that every person in this room today would pray just like that. God, how much should I give? When should I give and where? Father, how much should I save? When should I save and where? I I hope that everyone in this room will pray just like that. And I'd be willing to bet that there are some people here today, Father, who when they pray that prayer, the answer won't be about money. The the answer will be about their lives. When When should I give? Now. Where should I give? Well, you should trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and everything that pertains to life and godliness. How much should I give? Well, I should surrender all. And so, Father, if there's someone in this room today who doesn't know you, I pray that you would draw them to you. And for those of us who do, I pray that we would become hilarious, cheerful, overabundant givers of who we are and what we have. We love you, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.